My name is Ari Redboard, Head of Legal and Government Affairs at TRM Labs. Welcome to TRM Talks. TRM Talks is brought to you by TRM Labs, the leading provider of blockchain intelligence and anti-money laundering software. Yesterday, a joint German and US law enforcement investigation led to the seizure of Hydra, the world's largest darknet marketplace. And yesterday, the US Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control announced economic sanctions against Hydra and Russia-based cryptocurrency exchange Garantex for enabling ransomware and other illicit activity. To discuss yesterday's actions, I am joined by a terrific panel of experts. First, Todd Conklin, Counselor to the Deputy Secretary of the US Treasury, Vladimir Vladislav Kajuklu, Team Lead Global Intel for Flashpoint, Roman Sanikov, Head of Cyber Threat Intelligence at TRM Labs, and Kyle Armstrong, Director of Law Enforcement Relations at TRM Labs. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for joining uh, today uh, for really a flash TRM Talks um, on such short notice. Um, really appreciate you jumping on to discuss what's really an incredibly important global law enforcement uh, and regulatory action. Uh, Todd, uh, you are a TRM Talks vet. I'm going to kind of kick things off with you. Um, would you talk a little bit about sort of particularly the Treasury piece of this action today, uh, the, the, the sanctions uh, designations from OFAC? Uh, thanks, Ari. Appreciate it. And thanks, thanks for the time on short notice. Uh, so starting, I'll start actually with uh, Garantech. So OFAC uh, took action along uh, to sanction uh, international exchange uh, Garantex, which is uh, responsible for millions of dollars in transactions on behalf of ransomware actors such as Conti, uh, NetWalker, and uh, CryptoLocker. So OFAC's investigation uh, uh, revealed that since 2019, uh, Garantex is estimated to have transacted in over $2 billion in total value of uh, cryptocurrency transactions, of which OFAC specifically pegged roughly about one-third uh, to illicit uh, or, or bad actors, and, and then several millions of dollars specifically then tied to ransomware somewhere actors, such as the ones I mentioned, Conti, NetWalker, uh, and CryptoLocker. And then even more concerning uh, is that uh, uh, Garantex uh, still uh, enables uh, ruble conversions, uh, and their Moscow-based location in Federal Tower just adds uh, extra concern from the uh, Treasury OFAC side of the house in terms of potential for, uh, for their use in, in potential sanctions evasion activities. Uh, and then additionally, you already covered OFAC, uh, along with uh, the German authorities, uh, sanctioned uh, high Hydra market, which is the uh, the largest uh, darknet market uh, in the world, and uh, I'm sure others will uh, cover in, in great detail the importance of, of that uh, target. Sure. And before we do that, you mentioned sort of the the, the Moscow Tower. Uh, what what is the significance of that building in, in these different in the various actions? So um, people might uh, notice the, the address matches uh, closely the address of, of SUEX, for example, which was the first exchange that uh, Treasury uh, sanctioned back uh, in September. And uh, uh, specifically, uh, I'll let others actually opine on some of the kind of the intel notes that's uh, widely available in the public on, on the tower. But uh, it's uh, the, the ability to facilitate bulk cash transactions through that building is, is particularly concerning. Uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Terrific. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, Vlad and Roman, I'm going to just kind of open it up for you, really. I, I feel very fortunate to have like the level of subject matter expertise on this topic in the, in the room today. Um, Vlad, why don't we sort of kick things off with you? If you can talk a little bit about sort of you, you and Roman have both been thinking about mm -hmm. Hydra and darknet markets writ large for a long time. 
Uh, Vlad, can you sort of level set for us a little bit and talk a little bit about what, what Hydra was and, and mm -hmm. what its significance is? What it was and what it still might be if, yeah, uh, what it may be. Yeah. if they have uh, copies of their servers that were seized. We'll see. Uh, but in short, it's the longest running uh, or it was the longest running marketplace, not only on the Russian language segment of the deep and dark web, but also on the global scale as well. They've been around since 2015. And what's uh, what's notable about them is that they opened first as a competitor, as a sort of smaller competitor for RAM, the Russian Anonymous Marketplace. Um, and they slowly grew. And at some point, what was also very interesting is that they basically DDoSed uh, uh, Ramp and basically got rid of their competitor, right? Uh, moving on, it's um, the concept of it is also very interesting. It's not your, uh, like your traditional card shop or your, or your traditional market. It's basically um, a place where sellers and not just uh, a not just sellers of drugs, but sellers of all sorts of illicit goods, including guns and uh, uh, passports, could uh, set, uh, like set up a separate shop. So it's like a shop within a shop. Um, and when it came to this, they had direct suppliers from China, uh, which was also very interesting. And roughly they were throughout the period from 2015 until 2022, there were roughly more than 19,000 different shops. So of course, narcotics dominated, um that but then we had something some uh, some other things including um illicit software or sorry like licenses for software weapons um uh, all sorts of pii so on and so forth another interesting aspect of hydra is just the fact that um the shop or uh, the uh, the marketplace was around for so long without any sort of interruptions from Russia, uh, from Russian law enforcement. And there are also a lot of theories about that. Perhaps uh, they had a deal with the, uh, with Russian law enforcement and they were basically, they were allowed to run for such a long time um, because they had some sort of deal. And then uh, we spent a lot of time uh, studying the uh, cash out methods that were available in Hydra specifically when people would essentially um, cash out their a Bitcoin or um, uh, they had all sorts of services there, uh, the official one within Hydra and then like basically third parties, uh, third party services that operated the same way as the shops did. So essentially you would go there, um, you would tell them how much money you want to withdraw and what they would do, uh, this is a very interesting part here and it started out with drugs, but then they moved on to cash. You, you could basically get that cash delivered uh, like pretty much to your doorstep within some cities in Russia, mainly a large cities such as St. Petersburg, Moscow, uh, Krasnodar, so on and so forth, uh, but not so much in smaller towns. Um, so essentially what would happen, they had a system called uh, Cloudsman or Hidden Treasure. Uh, so essentially it started with drugs. Uh, somebody would order drugs and they would get delivered to that general area, some, somewhat close to your house, uh, buried underground, and then somebody would come and get them. Uh, that was the model that was later transferred to actual cash. So people could um, tell them, for instance, I want $1,000 to be um, mixed, uh, withdrawn, and delivered to this general area, and that would happen. Um, and uh, yeah, the sheer number of transactions uh, uh, the amount of money that went through Hydra throughout the years was just simply astonishing. Um, 
I think at the very height, uh, it was close to I'm trying to remember the actual numbers. Maybe somebody can help me out here. Uh, definitely in, in millions. I can't quite remember what it was. But um, yeah, I think February 2020, before the pandemic, was the highest, maybe close to 100 million dollars in one month, um, uh, just in revenue. And then it grew again, closer to 2021. So essentially very high numbers. Uh, it's the largest marketplace out there by the number of registered users, by the number of active users, by the number of shops. Uh, and um, it was definitely very interesting to observe it while it was active. And it will also be interesting to see what happens next. No, that's really helpful. Roman, Roman yeah. kind of go, jumping to you for a moment, feel free to build off any of those points. But it seems to me like, you know, look, there are a lot of folks out here who probably still aren't really familiar with sort of like how you get to a dark net market, what you're actually buying on there, why this is, why is it, why is it even considered part of sort of the crypto ecosystem, right? Can you sort of talk through a little bit about your experience? I mean, no one's been thinking about these issues longer, uh, longer than you have. So maybe sort of, maybe even walk us through, you know, what is a dark net market? And, um, and then sort of if you could build on into Hydra from there, that would be extremely helpful. Uh, absolutely, Eric. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity. Um, and uh, Vlad has done a, a great job uh, describing uh, the uh, significance and the size of the uh, of the market. Um, uh, one of the things I'd like to kind of uh, riff off of what he said in terms of the suspicion about why he was able to um, operate for as long as it did, because one of the things that the kind of traditional uh, cyber criminal uh, deep and dark web um, shops and forums are specifically told not to uh, be involved in weapons, not to be involved in uh, uh, drugs uh, and various other kind of physical products. Uh, otherwise, you'll bring the attention of law enforcement uh, to yourself. I think really <clears throat> one of the big significance of Hydra is specifically the fact that it was used. So most of the products that were offered for sale on Hydra were predominantly uh, based on the uh, market, the former Soviet Union, uh, Russia, uh, Ukraine, various places in the former Soviet Union. But the real significance of Hydra market was, as Vlad alluded, uh, the fact that it was used as a uh, money laundering, uh, facilitating so many transactions uh, really involving all sorts of illegal activity, including things that had nothing to do with physical goods at all. Uh, so like it was mentioned, uh, ransomware all sorts of other types of uh, cybercrime. A lot, as we all know, a lot of cyber criminal activity comes from that part of the world. And one of the biggest uh, challenges for the criminals in that part of the world is really moving the funds from uh, the West uh, or other places all over the world, specific <coughs> specifically to that area. Um, and so Hydra is one of the places that really facilitated uh, the movement of funds uh, through various means, um, cryptocurrency, as well as other types of um, uh, services, uh, Yandex Money, uh, Kiwi, whether, or all sorts of other types of electronic services. So individuals could literally buy money um, using uh, cryptocurrency um, on uh, um, on Hydra. Uh, so again, uh, as uh, important as the uh, market was, as huge as it was for things like narcotics, uh, like um, uh, 
weapons, et cetera, the real significance, uh, especially right now uh, with all the sanctions being implemented, is going to be how are these criminals going to try to uh, really monetize their access and monetize their activity and get the funds back to, uh, uh, to Russia specifically. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Todd, back to you for a moment. Look, I mean, I, I've been watching uh, sort of Treasury's work and DOJ's work, you know, over the last year or so very closely in this space. And it seems to me that, you know, we've seen actions by DOJ against darknet mixing services. We've seen Treasury go after SUEX and CHATX, what we call parasite VASPs, uh, essentially the sort of what you've actually called on TRM talks, the illicit underbelly of the overall sort of growing crypto ecosystem. It seems to me that darknet markets are sort of the third leg, right, in that conversation. When you're talking about darknet mixing services, you're talking about these non-compliant exchanges, and you're talking about darknet markets. How does this, A, am I right? And B, how does this sort of action fit into sort of a larger, broader treasury strategy? You, you nailed it, Ari, and, and the Deputy Secretary Adeyemo laid this out in, in November in, in a public speech where he specifically said that Treasury is going to continue to focus on the illicit parts of, of the crypto ecosystem and then specifically mentioned under that umbrella then um, darknet markets, mixers, uh, and non-compliant uh, exchanges. And, and Roman hit the nail on the head here in terms of why we coupled these two targets together, right? So you, you still need to find vehicles to, to exit the hydro market and, and, and join the international uh, economic community. And Garantex was one of the vehicles and conduits that, that enabled that, that transition, right? And that, that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the illicit underbelly. You have an, ex, an, an internationally operating exchange that's able to take um, large amounts of, of bulk currency, um, it, rubles in, in this case in Moscow, and potentially then enter that into the, the international uh, uh, economy. And that's not something that uh, when Treasury observes that we're gonna be able to, to uh, accept without taking immediate action. Uh, and that, that's exactly what we did here. Terrific, yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, just staying with you for a moment, Todd, and Roman started to get into this a little bit in terms of Russia, uh, you know, sanctions or Russia's sanctions evasion. We spent some time last month talking about, you know, the possibility of using cryptocurrency to evade sanctions in Russia. Is there, is that part of the context for this, uh, these designations today, the sort of the, the Russia sanctions piece? Exactly. Um, and it, frankly, it's, these targets stand alone as also supporting ransomware and, and criminal actors. I think where it becomes concerning in in the in this new uh, sanctions environment and, and and pressure campaign that we have now uh, uh, focusing on on Russia is in terms of what what potential avenues do bad actors and potentially uh, cronies and oligarchs have to move large amounts of money, right? And and as we discussed uh, last month, uh, crypto. Certainly is is in their playbook, but they have a long a long list of of, uh, of potential options and vehicles that they're going to try to leverage. But uh, wh where we see exchanges with potential larger uh, liquidity and connectivity to uh, the larger uh, international ecosystem, that's where we have to move quickly to cut it off. And Treasury has the tools at its disposal uh, to act uh, where we do see. Um, see any sort of uh, evolution in this space. And in particular on the hydro market, what we started to observe is that uh, roughly about 10% of all of the uh, Russian virtual asset 
outflows uh, had some sort of touch point to uh, the Russian hydro market. So you're talking about 10% of all VASP out outflows on a weekly basis uh, touching the Russia hydro market. And that's something that we have to act on once we see it. And we started to see that, we observed that, and we, uh, we moved quickly to, uh, to try to close that off. Terrific. Uh, last, last, last question in this line of questioning uh, for you, Todd, and that is cyber has been a big part of sort of Treasury's um, strategy also, and that it dovetails some with crypto, but it is separate and apart. Uh, can you talk a little bit, is there a cyber strategy around this as well, or sort of what any updates on that on that cyber strategy? Right. And I think one, one concern then, and, and there's more, I think, in the open source space that I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the colleagues on the call would, would address, but in terms of whether or not some of the, uh, the ransomware actors are going to support certain nation state actors and whether or not there'll be some sort of merger. And um, that's obviously an area of, of continued concern that we're going to continue to monitor. Uh, and, and specifically, I mentioned that the three groups uh, that were specifically using uh, uh, Garantex and also the, the Hydra market publicly. Um, so that's uh, that's obviously a concern. Uh, but tre Treasury is uh, committed to sharing intelligence information as quickly as possible with uh, the financial sector writ large to ensure that we're passing uh, um, tactical information as, as quickly as possible. So one recommendation to the, the entities that are, are joining us uh, today is if you're not already a part of the FSI and you have that uh, opportunity to join as an organization, uh, I would highly recommend uh, you join the FSI SAC. That's where that's the, the vehicle Treasury is is using uh, to share uh, in cyber intelligence information with the uh, with the private sector uh, in a near real time uh, basis or as real time as possible. Terrific. Yeah. No. Thank you so much, uh, Vlad and Roman. I see you guys shaking your heads during some of that conversation. Any sort of things? Any any other sort of highlights on Hydra that you want to? Um, that you sort of want to get out or sort of jump off of Todd's comments? Just, uh, you know, maybe this is somewhat wishful thinking on my part, but I could see this being a very significant blow uh, to individuals that, again, are trying to commit uh, criminal activity, uh, you know, obviously, and not just uh, the physical aspects, like I said before, not just drugs and weapons, but really we're talking about a lot of the things that are involved in everything from carding to ransomware to all the things that are initially, uh, essentially trying to siphon funds out of um, various areas, including the West, including Latin America, et cetera, and really trying to get that to, uh, to the Russian market. I think this is going to be a big blow to that. And, you know, we've already seen people who are struggling with uh, the sanctions, cyber criminals who are struggling with the sanctions, who are trying to find alternative payment methods uh, with uh, things like Visa and MasterCard no longer being available uh, in, uh, in Russia, and literally talking about even having things shipped to uh, Belarus, for example, and then driven across the border. But again, obviously, this is, there's only so many things you can, uh, so much money that you can transport that way. Uh, ultimately, it's something that is going to really, you know, when we're talking about the millions of dollars that some of these criminals are making, uh, I'm really hoping that this is going to put a, uh, a major monkey wrench in, in their wheels. Yeah, and just to add to Roman's point, it basically changes a lot of things in cybercrime in general with the sanctions and now with the uh, Hydra being gone. First of all, it's more difficult for them to get the actual cash out of Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. But second of all, a lot of cyber criminals use that money to get, um, you know, all sorts of goods from the West, from MacBooks to expensive cars, which are no longer available in Russia. So it's a lot more difficult for them to even 
find like a purpose <laughs> to get that money. So I, I think these events will change uh, the mindset of a lot of Russian speaking, or, or like specifically cyber criminals who are Russian speaking and who are based out of the Russian Federation. So for instance, just to get a credit card that would work outside of Russia, you, you now have to go to a place like Uzbekistan, uh, get the credit card, travel back. Uh, so it changed a lot of things. And now of course with Hydra, the most important part here is the cash out. Um, they can no longer like even travel anywhere. Like, like even beforehand, it was questionable because you could get arrested somewhere, but they sometimes they would go to Turkey and places like that. But now, uh, you know, soon probably planes will not fly out of Russia uh, because they will not be able to service them. So it changes a lot of things in the landscape. That's really helpful context. And essentially, uh, sorry, just uh, one last thing. Uh, essentially, you know, what the, any law enforcement is always trying to do is they're trying to change the calculus for the individuals who are this, making that decision to be involved in some sort of high risk, uh, uh, you know, criminal enterprise. So here, I really think that this changes the calculus for a lot of people uh, in terms of is it worth it for them uh, if they can't make the money? That, that's an awesome segue. So, so Kyle, uh, you have led these types of just huge global cross-border investigations involving cryptocurrency, involving terrorist financing from your you know, long storied career at the FBI. And we can get into that in a moment. So don't steal my thunder there. Um, but uh, would you talk a little bit, would you sort of, I, I think there are probably folks uh, who are watching who are saying, you know, it's like, what does go into an investigation like this? How do we work internationally, you know, to, 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 to do something like this, where you have, you know, likely DOJ action, you know, law, US law enforcement working with German uh, law enforcement, would you sort of walk us through what this thing looked like? Yeah, sure. And thank you. And thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, this, like many others uh, that have have been done by US law enforcement, US regulators, and, you know, plenty of the partners around the world, uh, the two main things that go into it are, number one, a lot of hard work, and number two, a lot of coordination, which is sometimes harder than the actual investigation. And so and starting with, with number one, the hard work, I mean, there's, there's several ways to, uh, to, to really dive into some of these investigations. Um, a lot of times, historically, some of the best ways to target um, these darknet marketplaces was sort of undercover transactions um, uh, pr providing, um, you know, uh, doing a transaction and then following and tracing out the virtual currency. And so I, this did occur in this situation and using tools like TRM, where you can, um, once the transaction is made, then you can follow the flow uh, outside and from the, uh, from the, the marketplace. In this case, it did go uh, frequently to um, uh, to uh, the, the sanctioned entities, but also it, it tends to spider web around. Eventually, the name of the game is attribution. So eventually you find some place that you can go to and you can obtain records via legal process to, uh, to find out who's controlling that subsequent address. Or if it's you know, a third party uh, 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 customer, maybe you know, somebody like a server space, you can ask the server, uh, the server farm, or ask, you know, the the service provider, hey, who is your customer? And they may give you a name. And so, um, you know, that's just one sort of channel that takes a lot of hard work um, and a lot of patience because there's a lot of false positives there. 
uh, when you you know you could uh, you could be following something that has nothing to do with the case after a couple hops. And so you know you just start back and you go back into it, and you dive back into it. Um, along the way, there's there's warrants that are done uh, in order to obtain again, once you you find uh, a place that will accept process, you you obtain a, a search warrant or the the equivalent thereof in a foreign country. And there's just a lot of coordination on that. So you take these these sort of breadcrumbs and these clues, and you put it together and you try and piece together um, uh, the attribution of who is running it, where it's being run from, and how you can how you can sort of disrupt the whole thing. The second part, the coordination, uh, in this case and, and in some of our past big successes, um, is is a a huge undertaking. And so, for for example, in this case, you had the German. Uh, BKA, you had Department of Justice, you had the FBI, IRS, HSI, Postal Inspection Service, and then of course Treasury, all of whom are coordinating together, all of whom have different priorities, have different uh, timeframes, and have different objectives. And so I know that the uh, the J Code Group, um, which is a, a multi-agency U.S. law enforcement agency group focused on opioids, was heavily involved in this. But there were also cyber investigators, and so uh, even those two groups um, together have have different priorities on on how they want to uh, work to take a case down. There was multiple versions of prosecutors, multiple sets of prosecutors on this to include the the Northern District of California and CSIPs, um, all of whom have different priorities, different um, uh, different timelines, and so you take all of that and you have. 30 investigators with a bunch of bosses and a bunch of different priorities. And you need to be able to figure out, hey, when are we going to do this? How are we going to do it? Who's going to do what? And then um, all get together and agree on, on the best way to do it. And, you know, it was uh, very well done in this situation. You know, it's no coincidence that the takedown happens and it goes offline and Treasury rolls out sanctions and uh, there were indictments unveiled. And so uh, one of the admins, uh, Pavlov, was indicted um, related, to, related to this case. All, again, they don't want to front run each other because if, you know, if Treasury sanctioned two weeks ago, perhaps they get spooked and they're unable to capture the server. Or if BKA went first and didn't include uh, DOJ, perhaps Treasury is not ready to unveil sanctions and they're able to move the money. And so all of these things take an incredible amount of coordination, particularly when it's international, because again, you have uh, treaties, you have agreements on how we can even share information. And so kudos to the team from, from all of the different uh, agencies for being able to do this and being able to synchronize uh, for maximum impact. Now, Kyle, thank you. Thank you so much for that perspective and for your experience. I, uh, I, I would be remiss to not just say welcome uh, to TRM. Kyle started. Monday, after an incredible 14-year career leading teams and some of really the very biggest FBI investigations, and um, it's just an honor to have you uh, at TRM and on TRM Talk. So thank you so much for uh, for joining. Um, means the world, uh, Todd. Uh, let's let's kind of finish things uh, here with you. Look, obviously, um, you know, as prosecutors, we're never allowed to send a message, but that's kind of the beauty of being a regulator. Um, you are really sort of speaking to the larger, I think. You know, licit the the growing crypto ecosystem, compliant exchanges. Um, you know, you know across the world. Uh, what kind of message does this send? 
And are there sort of any compliance takeaways? There's a lot of compliance folks who will be watching this. Any compliance takeaways you want to leave folks with? Absolutely. Thanks, Ari. And we, we laid the groundwork for this going back to September with updated uh, OFAC enforcement uh, guidance. And we, we uh, a month later, issued updated uh, FinCEN guidance for uh, for AML approaches and typology specific uh, to the uh, virtual asset space uh, and just made it clear uh, to the, the entire community that AML, know your customer sanctions, uh, rules and regulations apply to the virtual asset space just as they do the broader uh, financial sector. So what does that mean? It means for the, the larger international exchanges whom anyone can observe in the last few years of history, many large international exchanges have transacted uh, uh, transactions that have touched uh, the hydro market that that that's not acceptable, uh, right? And, and everyone everyone's on notice now. That's no longer acceptable. So um, we're going to continue to monitor the situation, and and that's the benefit of having this public transparency aspect to this. Um, any any tool, you know, a TRM tool, chain analysis tool, all the tools out there, anyone can can mine this information and see all of the different international exchanges and who they're transacting with. Um, so know your customer compliance regimes are just absolutely critical, and the more that uh, Treasury adds. Uh, uh, in the terms of the sanctions designation space, um, the, the pressure is on the uh, the, the broader uh, community to to raise their compliance regimes across the board, and it, it's it, and we mentioned it specifically in in the press release that uh, uh, violations and disregarding uh, these the sanctions actions are not going to be tolerated in in this space. Todd, I think you've got the last word, and um, you know, thank you all four of you for for joining TRM Talks today to talk about this really important action and. Um, we will uh, really look forward to um, you know seeing seeing the the impact of uh, what, what what really is an important um, day to day. Uh, Todd, thank you so much. Uh, Roman, Vlad, um, Kyle, uh, thanks for joining TRM Talks. <laughs>